Today's teaching text is Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. It is an honor to be standing before you today. Um, I hope that I say some things that are helpful today uh, and that they are things that we can all learn and grow from. Uh, it was a couple of months ago that Caleb first asked me about participating in the sermon series on prayer, and I sent him back a wide eyes emoji. And I told him that I would think and pray about it and get back to him. And I did that. And I felt just a very clear, yes, you should do this. And Caleb said, great. And I said, I think I want to speak about prayer as a weapon in spiritual warfare. And just a word to the wise, if you raise your hand and you say that you were going to preach a sermon on spiritual warfare, um, you're going to go through some things. And I understand that now. So if I'm ever honored to do this again, then uh, I'm definitely going to preach an entire sermon on rainbows and unicorns and happy feelings. But for today, let's talk a little bit about prayer and spiritual warfare. Uh, it probably makes sense to just sort of get on the same page in terms of what we mean when we say spiritual warfare. I think most of the people watching this would agree that we believe in a creator God who created the universe and everything in it, including human beings, which he made in his own image. But he also created other beings, uh, beings that are now invisible to us and exist in the heavenly realms. And that includes things like angels and archangels and also those four-faced creatures that you see in the book of Revelation. And we can refer to all of these beings collectively as making up the kingdom of God. And we are also a part of the kingdom of God, adopted, adopted as sons and daughters of the creator God. Now, some of those created beings are actively in rebellion against the creator God, and they have formed their own kingdom, a kingdom of evil or darkness. 
And Paul in the text refers to the ways that this kingdom of darkness has organized itself. He mentions rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Uh, the Bible also refers to a being that appears to lead these dark rulers, authorities, powers, and forces, and that leader is referred to by a number of names. The Satan, which is a word that means adversary or accuser in Hebrew. The enemy, another synonym for adversary, which is often used in the Bible to describe um, this dark leader. Uh, the serpent or the devil. The book of Revelation gives us a helpful illustration. In chapter 12, it says, And the great dragon, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. The other thing to note quickly about this oppositional kingdom is that it appears that for this period of time, this kingdom has been given a certain amount of authority here on the earth. In the Gospels, Jesus repeatedly refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. In 1 John 19, it says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we have this oppositional kingdom, this kingdom of darkness, which has a certain amount of authority in this present world and which is acting in opposition to the kingdom of God. Now, we as citizens of the kingdom of God have also been granted authority through our faith in Jesus Christ and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And we have been placed here for such a time as this and are invited to push back against the kingdom of darkness and to join God in the renewal of the world. And what that means for us is that we can expect that as we make advances for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness is going to have a reaction. Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without struggle. So our adversary has been granted power and is not going to concede it without a struggle. And this is what Paul is talking about in the text, the struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, if you are like me, then it is very easy to be aware of our own sinful and fallen nature and the fallen nature of this world and the struggles that we face for those reasons. But for me, what is easily and dangerously forgettable is the fact that there are spiritual forces that are seeking, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John, to steal, kill, and destroy. Adam Young did a really great series on spiritual warfare on his podcast, The Place We Find Ourselves, last year. So I'm paraphrasing him a bit here when I say, the enemy comes to steal the things that bring us joy to kill our faith, and to destroy the unique way that we are meant to represent the image and character of God to the world. Paul in the text is trying to orient us to that reality and give us some ways to prepare ourselves for a spiritual battle to claim spiritual territory. So I want to just take a step back and explain why I think this is so relevant for our church in this time. Um, regrettably, in quarantine, I have become the type of person that reads things that I've written in my journal aloud to others. 
And a couple of months ago, I was on a prayer Zoom with some friends, and I looked in my journal just a couple of days prior and noted that on that exact date two years ago, that I had written a very lengthy entry on spiritual warfare. At the time, I was feeling God starting to call me deeper into servant leadership and to expression of spiritual gifts. And as I was saying yes to these things and moving in that direction, all of these other things started to come up. People and situations from my past, patterns of behavior and thought that I had been delivered from, feelings of shame about parts of my story and just um, crippling self-doubt. And I was processing this as I walked into church on that particular Sunday. And I actually went back to take a look and see what the sermon was about. And David Lowe was actually preaching that day. And he was coming from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 12 of that chapter says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And even now, as I read those words, they are incredibly sobering. And I had a very strong reaction to them that Sunday in church. And I wrote in my journal, what does it mean to do battle for God? Guaranteed victory, perhaps also guaranteed suffering. Many many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And my journal entry goes on and I write about our church and the word that Pete Hughes from King's Cross spoke over us from Joshua 3.5, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great things among you. And I've had conversations with many of you over the years and about that weekend and so many of us identify it as a point of significant shift in our walks with God. Um, And just a month later, tragedy struck our church community in a really shocking and painful way. And last week, Lauren talked about that as a spiritual attack against her faith and her marriage. And I believe it was also an attack against our body as a whole and an attempt of the enemy to move us away from what God was leading us into. And as a church, we've continued to move in a direction of revival and greater Christ-likeness. And we see that in the calling toward presence, formation, and love in our 10th anniversary, in John Mark Comer's exhortation to us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, and in the beautiful Holy Spirit encounter with the Mumfords, which, believe it or not, actually happened this year, um, where John said that he felt that we as a church were on the cusp of something. The kingdom of darkness always has a very specific response to you advancing the goals of the kingdom of God. When you continue to move toward your calling as an individual or as a church, the adversary who is the enemy of our souls and who is at war with God is going to try to interrupt that progress. And so for all of these reasons, as we move forward as a church and as individuals working out our salvation with fear and trembling, We need to expect resistance. A little further down in Revelation chapter 12, it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So I'm not saying any of this to incite fear, 
Jesus is very clear throughout the whole of scripture that we should not fear. Uh, I'm sure you've heard many times that the most oft repeated command in scripture is do not be afraid. Um, And he promises to be with us. And in fact, when we don't fear, the Bible says that it reminds our enemy of their destruction. Philippians 1.28, be not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. I want us to understand what our adversary is up to. In the book of Job, you see God and Satan having a conversation, and God asks Satan where he's coming from, and Satan responds from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down it. And Peter advises us to be sober-minded and to be watchful because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So as we move deeper into the things of God and into the deeper things of God, we should expect and be prepared for spiritual battles. Peter also wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We have an enemy. And we are here to join God in pushing back against the enemy and advancing the territory of the kingdom of God. And Paul is teaching us about how to suit up for battle so that we can be effective in prayer. The text says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. So Paul is telling us how we should approach prayer. He is saying we need to pray knowing the truth. We need to pray being grounded in our faith. We need to pray in the security of our salvation, which was won on the cross. We need to pray knowing the word of God, and we need to pray while diligently pursuing a life of righteousness and peace. The armor of God is all about formation. It's about letting the prayer, letting prayer and scriptures and time with God so shape us that the enemy's attacks fail to meet their objective of robbing us of our faith and getting us to retreat in our advancement of the kingdom of God. It's important to note that Jesus himself really believed in the power of prayer as a weapon in spiritual warfare. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he gives Simon Peter a very stern warning about Satan's plans for him. He says, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What's noteworthy is that Jesus is speaking in the past tense. He says, Satan demanded, I prayed, when you have turned. Jesus knew what was going to happen next. He knew that Peter, in a moment of doubt and fear, would deny him. Even knowing what would happen, Jesus had confidence in his prayer for Peter and speaks of having already accomplished victory in prayer. 
So Satan had a specific design to destroy Peter's faith, and the battle over Peter was fought and won in prayer. I think what we see in this story and in Paul's instruction is that in the context of spiritual warfare, it matters how we pray. So just a couple of notes on how we pray. One, I think we need to be on God's side. There's a passage in Joshua just before the fall of Jericho, and an angel appears next to Joshua with his sword drawn, and Joshua asks asks him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the angel says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And I think this passage makes the point that Patrick made actually a few weeks ago that it's not about us. This is God's story. This is his battle. And the security of our victory lies in union with him. Throughout Jesus's ministry, we see him performing miracles and teaching with authority. And everyone is astonished, which is part of what prompts his disciples to ask him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus continually relates the power and authority he's displaying to his intimacy with God. And the Gospel of John really highlights this theme. John 5, 19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. John eight twenty nine, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John fifteen seven. if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When Paul refers to praying at all times in the spirit, he is advising us to pursue the same sort of intimacy that Jesus shared with God the Father. As much as possible, we need to be praying in accordance with the will of God, which means we need the spirit to help us discern what the will of God is. Second, we have to pray in our armor. Paul talks about truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace. He talks about faith, salvation, and the word of God. Jesus prayed with confidence against the schemes of the enemy because he knew the truth of God's character, because he was clothed in righteousness, and because everywhere he went, he carried with him the gospel of peace and reconciliation. Jesus had faith. He trusted in God for his salvation, and he knew the word of God. Because of all these things, Jesus knew how the story would end. And the question I have for us today is, are we praying as if we know how the story ends? Who or what are the Simons in your life, and what does God have to say about them? Where are the places in your life where you feel attacked, the places where you are battling the enemy's desire to steal, kill, and destroy, and what does God have to say about it? And can we pray about those things in the same way that Jesus prayed for Peter with full confidence knowing what the end will be? The reason I think that Paul explains to us in the first part of the text that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood is because I think Spiritual warfare can sometimes be deceptive. It can look and feel like something that is purely based in the physical plane. It can look like a coworker who has it out for you, a rift between you and your spouse, uh, or a good friend or a fellow brother or sister in Christ. It can be a negative internal monologue about your self-worth or feelings of shame and condemnation about something you've done or not done, or even just who you are. 
Paul is saying that even when the conflict or source of pain seems to be purely physical, there is often something occurring in the spiritual realm. So when we face these things, we have to use spiritual weapons such as prayer. And I think Paul is describing the type of prayer where we can take feelings of shame and condemnation regarding sin, and we can put on the helmet of salvation, and we can stand in the knowledge that Jesus's work on the cross was complete. And we can pick up the sword of truth and pray, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the type of prayer where we can take internal monologues where the enemy has whispered lies, and we can put on the belt of truth and stand in the knowledge that we have inherent worth because we are made in the image of God and we are sons and daughters of the Most High. And again, we can pick up our swords and pray God's words, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The type of prayer he's talking about is the prayer where we can take enmity and discord in our relationships and we can put on our shoes of gospel peace and we can leave our gifts at the altar and go be reconciled to our brother. There was a day um, in just this past week where I was feeling particularly oppressed and it didn't seem to be connected to anything actually happening. The day before had been pretty similar to the day that I was experiencing currently. Um, but I just felt really unsettled the entire day. And I got into bed that night and couldn't sleep at all, which is very strange for me. Uh, and so I'm lying there and I'm trying to explain to God through my tears what was going on and what I needed. But the words weren't really coming. I couldn't really grasp the language to explain what was happening. And as often happens when I feel that way, I just started to sing. Um, I sang a bunch of different songs. I sang an old spiritual about being a soldier of the cross. I sang a hymn about Jesus's crucifixion. I sang, yes, Jesus loves me. Um, and the last song I sang was one that we often sing with the kids on Sunday. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And I sang that verse just over and over and over and over again. And eventually the song became a prayer. And I started to say out loud in between the verses, the names of my friends and my family and all of you and the things that I know that you need from God and that you're petitioning God for. And I didn't understand it at the time, but now I know that I was putting up my shield of faith. My heart and my flesh had begun to fail. And instead of describing the problem, I proclaimed the character of God. Instead of looking with my human eyes at the circumstances in front of me, I made the choice to wield the sword of the spirit and say, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Instead of asking God if he could see me or hear me, I put on my breastplate and I declared that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. 
And I continued in prayer and song for the rest of that night and into the morning. And every single thing that was weighing me down, I called it into subjection to the sovereignty and the power of God. I put up my shield of faith. The next day, I was scrolling through Instagram, as I want to do, and there was a boy, a video of a boy who was getting his blood drawn, and he was crying so hard, and he was scream singing at the top of his lungs, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And under the video, the person had written the caption, pray the promise, not the problem. And I thought back to my journal entry all those years ago, and The promise is guaranteed victory. Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We pray from a position of knowing that all of our suffering, all of the schemes of the enemy must serve a redemptive purpose in our lives. And for those who love God, all things work together for good. So my exhortation to us this morning is just to pray like we know that. Let's pray like we believe that all of the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. And I'll read to you just the last thing that I wrote in my journal that day two years ago. The adversary wants to destroy us but we have everything we need. We are victorious. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just give you thanks for who you are. Lord, we thank you that we know your character, that you are merciful and kind, that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen each of us, God, that you would help us to pick up our weapons and to fight for you, God, to do battle on behalf of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that as the days and weeks and years continue, Lord, that we would continue to see that you are faithful to fight with us and for us. God, I pray that we would continue to see that every hurt, every pain is part of a redemptive story that you were telling in our lives. Father God, I pray that we would be one with you, Lord, that we would see with your eyes, that we would look at a situation and we would see an opportunity to grow closer to the heart of God. Lord, I pray for unity as a body. Lord, I pray for us linking arms and joining you in the renewal of all things. So Lord, would you bless us? Would you keep us? Would we stand on your promises in ways that we have not before? And I pray all of these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.